Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, investigators were desperately searching for some piece of physical evidence to link Ronald Keith Williamson to a brutal slaying that had shocked the tranquil community of Ada, Oklahoma, three years earlier. They were having a difficult time building a solid case against Williamson, who vigorously denied strangling 21-year-old Deborah Sue Carter. So far, their only evidence consisted of a witness who had seen Williamson talking with Carter earlier on the evening she was slain, an admission by Williamson that he had once dreamed about this event, and the testimony of a jailhouse informant who claimed she had overheard him talking about the crime. Obviously, police needed more to go on if they were going to prove this and convict him. So finally, detectives came up with the clincher. An expert took four hairs that had been found on the victim's body and elsewhere at the crime scene and examined them under a microscope and concluded that they were a match. With samples taken from Williamson, according to a newspaper report, their case bolstered by scientific evidence, investigators arrested Williamson and put him on trial. And it didn't take long to find the former minor league baseball player guilty of the slaying and to dispatch him to death row. With the ghastly crime finally solved, the people of Ada breathed a collective sigh of relief. Justice had been done. The killer was going to pay with his life. There was, however, one big problem. Williamson was telling the truth about his innocence. After he languished in prison for 12 years, nine of them awaiting execution, an analysis of DNA at the crime scene established that someone else had committed the murder. And on April 15th, 1999, Williamson was finally set free. But wait a second, what about the hair comparison, the evidence that pointed toward Williamson and his guilt? If the hair was found at the scene of the crime, didn't that implicate him in the slaying? The answer is disconcerting, but hair evidence often purports to prove more than it actually does. The newspaper report had glossed over some important nuances. The hair from the scene didn't really match Williamson's and a criminologist had merely concluded they were consistent with each other. In other words, their color, shape, and texture looked similar. Thus, the hairs from the crime scene could have come from Williamson, or perhaps they could have come from someone else. Far from being as incriminating as fingerprints, hair analysis has been called pseudoscience by some legal analysts. Often jurors hear impressive-sounding testimony about what appears to be scientifically valid proof, and they conclude incorrectly that it establishes the defendant's guilt. Some prosecutors in the heat of courtroom battle have been known to mischaracterize or subtly overstate the value of hair analysis during their closing arguments. And in the case of Williamson, a federal judge called the hair evidence scientifically unreliable and said it should never have been used against the defendant. Even more troubling, hair evidence had been used against 18 death row prisoners who subsequently were declared innocent in the last quarter century. This is just one small example of a way that, that often in our culture, there are, there are moments that we don't have answers. There are moments that we can't really explain everything that's going on. And sometimes in an attempt to explain things, we explain God out of situations. Sometimes in an attempt to know what's going on, we pretend to be experts. We pretend to know exactly what a situation needs, and we interject our truth and our absolute fact, and sometimes we even put things under the banner in the name of science that are pseudoscience. This story parallels some of the the questions and answers that are going on in our in our society. This story parallels some of the questions that you're probably wondering and asking yourself. Maybe now, 
Maybe as you sat through a college philosophy class, maybe as you sat through a science class in high school, maybe as you're laying alone in your, your bed and you're, you're wondering about eternity and about things that are beyond this world and you're wondering about answers and you're asking yourself, where did we come from? There, there seem to be kind of eight main questions that get asked a lot in culture. And so today we, we want to start a series called A Case for Faith. Now, the purpose of this series is to fuel conversations because I believe that there are people in this room, there are people in the life of our church who are asking, where did life come from? Where did God come from? Can I believe what scripture says? Can I believe this story of creation, of intelligent design? How could bad things happen to good people? How could a God who, who loves this world or we're told loves this world let bad things happen to children? And how could, how could all of this be connected to a higher power? We want to answer those questions in people who are, who are beginning to be faced with questions in their faith. We also want to deepen the convictions of Christians and give fresh confidence in these questions that you'll discuss that, that fuel your faith and give you a foundation. And this series is based on a book by Lee Strobel. These, these, these questions are questions that we need answers to. And so I want to show you some, some stats real quick as we talk about these questions. These are some stats collected by a man named uh, George Barna. And these are, these are reasons that people walk away from their faith. These are reasons that people question their faith. Maybe you can't read it. I'm sorry. It was already pre-made. I have 2020 vision, so just let me read it to you, right? Okay. It says that, that not some non-Christian barriers to faith, it says that people have a hard time believing that a good God would allow so much evil or suffering in the world. It says one of the other things that is a barrier to faith is that Christians are hypocrites. Another barrier is some people believe that science refutes too much of the Bible, or they don't believe in fairy tales. They see too many injustices in the history of Christianity. They say they used to go to church, but that's not important to them anymore. Or maybe they've had a bad experience with a Christian. And so there are some common themes as people question their faith, as they question the Bible, as they question who God is and what he's doing. And some of those we can, we can hopefully answer or at least help you begin to discover those answers and look for answers in this series. One of those things I think we have to just say is that people don't think Christians are nice. So your first homework assignment this week is to just be nice to people, okay? Uh, don't, don't be that stereotypical Christian who, who, who's just not nice, all right? Go, go up to work and just say, hey, my pastor told me to give you a hug. Is that, is that weird? And no, I'm, I'm kidding. Please don't do that, okay? That'll, that'll, that'll make it that no one wants to talk to you about your faith ever again. But we want to answer uh, these questions this, this week, begin to answer these questions. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your seat around you there. You've got one on your smart device. We're going to be in Romans chapter one verses 18 to 23. And the question that we want to look at today is, can we believe that God made the earth? Not just that can we believe God made the earth, but can we believe that Jesus really did miracles in the Bible as we're told? There are a couple of things that just seem like they're, they're not believable. And so we want to get at the heart of these two questions. We want to first look at Romans chapter one, verses 18 to 23. It's on page 857. If you're looking there, page 857. And we want to get at the heart of these questions, like I said, and see what God has to teach us today. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Paul is sharing his heart, sharing the kind of the context of, of the church and, and, and the gospel and, and what it looks like as sin has entered the world. And he gets right to the point as he's explaining the state of the hearts of, of humanity and the state of our hearts as, as people. And he says this in verse 18. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. See, the the backdrop of, of this passage is that as humans... We don't always have all the answers. We don't always know everything. We can't always say, this is why this is happening, and we can't define everything. And there are moments in our history that when we can't explain everything, we attempt to explain everything. We, we attempt to find answers, and often those answers kind of point back to us and our knowledge Those answers point back to the fact that we're in control, that we know what's going on, that that we can explain things, and we explain God out of the situation, and this passage is getting at the heart of that. It's saying that just simply by looking around, we can see general revelation. By looking around at creation, by looking at a sunset, by looking at the earth and the sky and the mountains and the beautiful things that we see every day, we can see God. We can see his invisible qualities. We can see his eternal power, his divine nature. And anyone who lives in this earth, anyone who has looked around and seen what we can digest, they have seen God and they can know God and they're without excuse. But we don't like to admit that or we don't like to process that. And so sometimes we don't look around. Sometimes we don't give credit where credit is due. Sometimes we take the things that we're seeing for granted. Sometimes we don't process the complexity of what we're seeing or what exists or what God has created. This passage is saying that if you look around, God's truth is is obvious, but that that we live like, like fools. Yeah, he's the answer. Yeah, he could be the answer, but, but we have another answer. And it, it kind of makes sense too, right? We, we, we know God and we know his qualities, but, but we've also got this other story that's a pretty good story. And it kind of links back to us and our discoveries and how smart we are and how great we are. And, and so in an attempt to be in control and to be smart, we make ourselves fools by denying the existence and the power and the character of God that we can see in creation. God's truth is obvious we live like fools. I want to read another passage to you, Psalm chapter 19, verses one through four. You don't have to turn there, but it says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. If I were to ask who's ever looked up at the sky, who's ever laid out in the middle of a field and, and looked at the stars or seen a shooting star, who's ever looked through a, through a telescope and, and seen the moon and seen planets, who's ever watched a sunset and, and in that moment felt very small, I'm sure the answer would, would be everyone in the room. 
Now, maybe you did that more as a child. Maybe you did that growing up. Maybe that was something that doesn't just happen as much now that life has gotten busy and you have commitments and you have a job and you have to get up early and you go to bed before it gets dark and all of these things. But this passage, again, simply tells us that creation points to God. Before we got caught up in watching too much TV or, or being addicted to our phone, we could go outside and we could plainly see God. I've been watching this summer because I, I like to think that I have a decent amount of friends in the room on social media, right? And some of you have been to Hawaii and some of you have been to Iceland and some of you have been to Alaska. Some of you are cheap like me and just drove to Hocking Hills, right? Some of you have been to Egypt and some of you haven't left Hilliard. But this passage tells us that we have a front row seat from the places we are that we can see God's character and see his greatness and see him moving and his creation his heavens, the skies, they tell us the story of who he is. God put his signature on these things and we just have to look around to experience him. But we spend time away from nature, right? I mean, yeah, you could say that hanging out in the Hilliard YMCA, maybe we can see God in, in, in these beams and how they're constructed and some of the, the math of it. But the, for the most part, as we get older, we, we spend time out of creation, right? And then we wonder why we can't see God, why we don't feel close to God, why we don't have a knowledge of God, why we can't feel the presence of God. We spend time out of his creation. And not just that, but we isolate ourselves, right? It used to be that, that people had to speak to each other in any given day. And now we hit the button on our garage door. We back out of our garage. We drive to work. We walk to our cubicle. We work all day. Maybe we talk to one or two people. We make sure that when we go to the water cooler, there's no one else there. We come home and we hit the button and we drive back in our garage and go in our house. And then we binge watch the shows that we want to watch all night. And so we're not interacting with nature. We're not interacting with the character of God and the invisible qualities that we can see all around us. And we're also not interacting with his people for the most part. And we can see his image in the people that he's created. And so we've removed ourselves from these foundational ways that we can see God and know God and know his character. But creation points to God. I want to take a moment and just read the account of, of creation that we're given in Genesis chapter one, because sometimes I think that we take that for granted, sometimes in an attempt to explain things away, sometimes in an attempt to have the answers. Our society has forgotten that God has given us the description that he wants to give us for how everything we know and everything we see and everything we experience and all the ways that we can know him and see him and feel him, how that came into existence. Genesis chapter one. Verse one, it's on page three, but I'll read it to you. You don't have to follow along. It says this, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came making the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth and the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. 
And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals, and that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Often when we don't have answers, often when we forget to look around or fail to look around or take looking around for granted and we, we, we stop seeing God in creation, we forget that he spoke into existence the things that we see. We forget that he created everything we know and we forget that he created everything that we experience. He created the foundations of our world and even the things that have led to technology, even the things that our world has become. God created this world that we live in and exist in And this world is not surprising or an accident to him. And I know that so far you're like, yeah, I thought you were going to help me get in arguments around the water cooler, Mark. You haven't really answered those questions we said that we were going to answer. And I realize that there is a tension as we say, hey, we're going to, we're going to talk about why you can trust the Bible, why you can, you can trust that God is the intelligent designer of this world that we know and experience and why you can believe that the miracles that occurred in scripture happened. And then we take you to scripture and we read scripture to prove those things. I realize that that tension is, is there, and, and yet that's the lens that we want to look at the world through. We want to look at the world through what Scripture tells us, because if we've placed our faith and our trust in God, 
we look at the world through God's eyes. We look at creation through God's eyes. We look at the things that we know and experience through God's eyes, and yet we don't want to just have what, what has maybe been referred to as a blind faith, right? Where we can't really explain things because that would be an insult to God's creation to say, oh, things can't be explained, or, or well, I don't really know how to answer my science teacher. I'm not sure what to tell that person because we know and we trust and we believe that, that God has an answer and God has given us answers for the things that we see and we experience and the conversations that we'll have. And so we don't have to, as Christians, reject science and reject reason and reject logic and, 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 and shrink away from conversations about philosophy and ethics because those things are in these passages we just read. The foundations of those things are found in scripture and to not be able to defend our faith in in those ways also, is not an attack on the inerrancy of scripture, but it's support that we know and trust and see answers in God our Father. And so the, this morning, I, I want to just give us five reasons that we can believe in, in God's intelligent design and in the miracles of Jesus. I want to give us five reasons that we can know and trust that the things that we read and see in scripture are true and how we can press those against some of the logic and philosophy and science that we're going to encounter in the world. Well, first, I want you to know that God makes sense of the universe's origin. God makes sense of the universe's origin. It's, it's amazing to me how often people will quote science and they'll quote things and they'll just say, that's a fact. Everyone knows that. And if you get at the heart of, of science, you get at the heart of things that are considered theories, you will know that, that nothing that is presented in modern science, even to explain the origins of the universe and even to explain creation, can be presented as a fact, right? We know that we have a world that we experience and there are different beliefs in how that world began and how that world started and the gap that is between what, what happened to start the world and where we are now does not have perfect mile markers and, and, and events that everyone can trace. And so what would I say that the scripture says is between the, the foundation of the world, the, the beginning point, and, and, and the world that we experience and know now? I would say that the narrative that we just read where God said, I made this, and I made it good, and I gifted it to you, and I put you on this world, that's God's way of explaining the origins of the universe. And yet there are people that would say, no, this, this somehow appeared and, and things happened. And it's not often presented that, that there's not foolproof evidence to explain away intelligent design and explain away the fact that God created the world. There are not things in a laboratory somewhere that say, first this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. There are many theories that have been presented. And, and this morning I thought about making this a science class and then I remembered how much I hated science class and that things are always changing and we wouldn't be able to do that. But I want you to know that many tests and, and, and many presentations have been done and scientific research has tried to isolate the, the four chemicals that would have existed in the, in the atmosphere once upon a time when, when they believe things came into existence and they've tried to, to put electricity through those and explain how the world started. And, and, and there have been times where science has said, we figured it out. We found those chemicals. We put electricity through them. This happened. It explains this progression. And then they've later realized that the, the four properties in that atmosphere that they were able to conduct electricity through, none of those actually existed back when the world began in, in their model. And, and so oftentimes, 
Most of the time, all of the time, there are holes in the narrative of what the world wants us to believe, how the world began. And, and no matter what you believe, there's a faith gap. There's a faith gap in a theory, whether you call that theory evolution or theistic evolution or a creation theory, there's a faith gap. And there are things that can't be traced and, and proven in a lab. And there are things that you can't prove with fossils. And so there's going to be a faith gap. And yet I believe that we can have confidence that God makes sense of the universe's origin. We just have to know that God designed that faith gap with purpose. That faith gap was made with purpose so that we could put our faith and our trust in him, so that we could rely on him, so that we could look to him. It's interesting that the world wants us to believe that the things that we know and experience and see that scripture says point to God and point to his greatness and point to the fact that he intelligently designed them and created them and made them, they want us to believe that those things have come from nothing, that they lack purpose, that, that they were an accident. And even if we zoom back from a belief in scripture, even if we zoom back from a belief in the Bible, even if we zoom back to this simple principle, I want you to know that everything comes from something, right? Everything comes from something. If you're looking at a, a painting, there was a painter. If you're looking at a building, there was a builder. And if you're looking at creation, there was a creator. The chair that you're sitting on was made by someone, was made by a process. The curtains that we decorate this room with to pretend it's not a YMCA gym, right? Those were made by someone and they were made by a process. Your glasses that you're wearing were made by someone, designed by someone. They came from a process, your house, your car, your job, the workflow of your job, the HR process, the process that gets you a paycheck, that gets you direct deposit, your computer, your phone, the makeup that you put on today came from a person and came from a process. And even if you don't believe in scripture, even if you don't believe in God, I think that we could look around at the, the foundations of everything we know and experience and we could, we could agree that everything comes from something. Things do not appear by accident. Things do not appear by chance. Things do not appear randomly. And so God makes sense of the universe's origin. God also makes sense of the universe's complexity. I talked to a friend this week uh, who's a scientist who has so many degrees that as he was explaining his degrees, I honestly got confused, right? And he was like, you should let me come and talk to your church. And he wanted to talk about molecules and he wanted to talk about all of these things. And he wanted to talk about strands of protein and molecular levels and all of the different ways that, that for an organism to exist and for an organism to be distinguished from something else, from a, from a plant to a dog to a human, all of these different ways that DNA is written and that the ways that it's mapped and the complexity of creation. And he wanted to come and explain that to you, and I had to tell him that he's boring. I, I, I did that for you guys, okay? I, uh, you got to believe me. He's just a super boring man, right? And uh, I, I was just trying to think of you, but right, he, he wanted to come and explain that, and I said, there's no way that we can even begin to explain that on a Sunday morning, but I want you to know at the foundational level of existence of the things that we know that our, that our DNA exists and it's mapped and it's complex and it's great and it points to God. It doesn't point to an accident. Strands of protein and, and molecules and so many different things tell us that, that we were designed with purpose. We were created with purpose. 
We do not exist by random chance. And there's a lot of complexity that we look around and see and try to explain away. And we already alluded to that with a sunset. But think of the things that have to occur for our world to exist, right? The way that our atmosphere has to exist to let in enough light so that we can see, to let in enough warmth so that we can exist, but to block out enough harmful UV rays from our sun that that our world doesn't just end one day, right? The, The angle that the world has to sit at so that we're not fried up or we're not frozen as we, as we orbit the sun. The fact that the sun has not blown up but has stayed together and all of the other planets and stars that we see. I think sometimes we, we don't think about that. We explain away the complexity of the universe and people could tell you like, yeah, that all came from this uh, bang and it just kind of happened. And yet we would look at the complexity and we would see, no, 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 that complexity points to God. That complexity says that someone mapped this out. That complexity says that this was intelligently designed and created. Not just to say, hey, God created that, but to say God created that and there is a God and he's greater than us. And yet he knows us and loves us. The complexity of the universe points to God. God makes sense of objective moral values also. I mean, what are the chances that that we exist as people and we continue to exist as a people and a culture and a society on this world, in this solar system, in this universe, and not just that, but we all kind of have a common code of DNA, right? I mean, we all know that uh, if a person kills another person, that's probably not a good thing, right? And if, if one person cheats another person, that's probably not a good thing. And if one person lies to another person, that's probably not a good thing. And somehow that's written on the heart of every person that's ever been made. And scripture tells us plainly that we were made in the image of God to display the image of God. And when we have morality, we're reflecting his morality. And there's a common moral code that's in every human that's ever been born on the earth and every society that's ever existed who's lived on this planet, in this solar system, in this universe. And yet we explain that away and say, no, that's just random. That's just random chance. Yet God makes sense of objective moral values, that we have a built-in conscience, that we have a, a concept of right and wrong, of good and evil. We have a moral code. Those things happen and exist because we were made in the image of God. God makes sense of the universe's origin. God makes sense of the universe's complexity. God makes sense of objective moral values, and God makes sense of the resurrection. We said that people, people look at scripture and they say, oh, miracles didn't happen. The resurrection didn't happen. That scientifically couldn't happen. It's been explained away. Really? You think people are, are raised from the dead? You think that that happens? You think that someone walked on water? You think that someone turned water into wine? You think that this guy named Jesus was so magical that he healed people? You can't believe the things that you read in scripture and people will explain those away and they doubt this, this narrative of scripture. They doubt the existence of miracles and of a God who has this power to move and to work. Because they say it's, it's just not possible. Well, I want to ask a, a question. The world has, has said, yeah, yeah, Scripture says uh, sexuality was created with a purpose and for a certain reason, and, and yet the world has made sexuality their own. And I, I think if we look around at, at how people function and how humans function and how they treat each other and how they view each other and how they look at each other, if you were to ask, how's that working out for the world? 
If we were to ask, hey, uh, humans and, and society and, and everyone that inhabits earth, they've, they've kind of latched onto this concept of politics and ethics and philosophy and morals, and they've made it their own. And as you look around the world, how's that working out for the world? We've got a pretty peaceful world, don't we, where a lot of people love each other. Nations are never fighting or arguing. There's nothing going on that's bad. The world has, has taken marriage and has taken the concept of love and they've taken the concept of parenting and they've, they've taken ethics and so many things and made it their own and claimed it for their own and explained why it exists and how it's supposed to exist and how we should function and how are those things working out for the world. The world has tried to say that the narrative of scripture and the miracles of scripture can't exist, that the resurrection didn't happen and couldn't have existed because they have answers for everything. And the world has compromised and screwed up almost everything else through a biblical and gospel lens. And they've shown that they, they can't be trusted because they've taken these gifts that were created, that were given to us, that were supposed to be used as examples to teach us, and they've corrupted them. So we say that we can't believe the resurrection. I think the resurrection is one of the only things that the world hasn't taken and tried to explain away and, and stolen and defiled to a fault. The world doesn't want to believe the narrative of the Bible. And yet the narrative of the Bible explains the secret of life. that we're flawed, that we're messed up, that we're inadequate, that as a society, as a people, as countries, as, as humans, we screw up. We let ourselves down. We let others down. And we try to act like we have answers. We try to act like we know everything, but we don't know everything. God had created us for a purpose, designed us for a purpose. We step outside of that purpose and think that we're experts. God didn't want us to exist outside of his purpose, outside of his love. And so even though we choose our own way, we sin against him, we separate ourselves from him. He still had a heart for us. He still had unending grace and love for us. And he sent his son Jesus to this world to live and to die for us and to pay the price for our sins. And so even though we're separated from God, even though we're far from God, even though we're lost without God, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, who sacrificed his life for us and was raised from the dead three days after dying on the cross. And that's hard to believe. And that's hard to trust. And that's hard to fathom. But the ways that the world tries to explain that away are empty and dead-end roads and leave people wanting more. And so being able to look around and see the power and the glory of God and God's existence and knowing that his power and glory explains the resurrection, gives a foundation to the resurrection, that Jesus came and gave his life for us so that we could know God and have relationship with God and see God and trust God and rest in God. That's all the proof, all of the power that we need to know. Number five here is just that God can be immediately experienced. 
Anyone who's ever been alone with their thoughts, anyone who's ever talked to God, anyone who's ever prayed and asked God to do something, anyone who's ever had a family member with with struggling health, anyone who's ever thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm at the end of myself and has cried out to God, has seen God and known God and experienced God. And I trust that many of us in the room have felt like God is moving and working in our hearts and moving and working in our lives and moving and working through the Holy Spirit. And so the greatest way that you can say that you can trust creation, you can trust the miracles of God or all of those reasons, but the, the most obvious one this morning is that God can be immediately experienced. And if you've never known that God created you, that God had a purpose for you, that God loved you, that even though you screwed up and distanced yourself from God, he, he sent his son and Jesus came and gave his life to bring you back to him, to bring you back into the fold, to bring you back into the family, to bring you back into relationship. If you've never known that, if this morning is the first time you've ever heard that, you can experience God today. Right where you're at. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I've chased after what the world has told me. I've chased after the answers the world has, has given me and, and they're all dead ends. I've, I've found myself at the end of myself and at the end of the end of everything I know. You say, Lord, I'm a screw up, but I know that that you gave your life for me. I know that you sacrificed your son for me and I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want a relationship with you. I want to trust you. I want to know your love. You can immediately experience God today. You can experience the God who made everything we know and see everything that's around us, everything that was created You can experience and know and feel the love of a God who was working time as a plan for the benefit of of you and I. And that's one prayer away. That's one conversation away. As we end this morning, I want to just ask us to bow our heads and and pray. And I, I want to ask if for the first time you're realizing that God created you with a purpose, God created you with a plan, that no matter how much we mess up or walk away from him, he still loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And if you're realizing that for the first time you would like to identify with him, you'd like to place your faith and your hope and your trust in him to be a part of his family and to experience his love and to know his love, I wanna just ask you to do something that's kind of bold, but I wanna ask you just to, to raise your hand where you're at and just say today, I wanna place my future in the hands of Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I wanna experience Jesus. If you wanna make that decision today, just go ahead and, and put your hand up. And I realize that that's maybe not something that's comfortable in our culture, but it's something that signifies a decision and marks a decision. Just say, I want to trust Jesus today because I know that he wrote my story. I know that he created this world. He created me with a purpose. God, you create us, you knit us together, you love us, and we're so grateful for the way that you are the answer to questions, you are the answer to philosophy, you are the answer to ethics, you are the answer to everything. So we thank you for being our answer, for writing your DNA and your character on our hearts and your DNA and your character all throughout creation. God, we pray that we won't gloss over you, we won't try to explain you away, that we will step into conversations to speak to your existence and speak to the ways that we know that you are true. Lord, whether we're searching or whether we're defending our faith and trying to love the world around us, we're going to give you the rest of today. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.